Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Tell Me Why. Tell Me Why. Now, maybe like you, there are a few things that come to mind uh, when you hear this title. For me, uh, two things come to mind initially, like right off the bat. The first is a Backstreet Boys song. How could it not be, you guys? (laughs) I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. I mean, it spent 20 consecutive weeks at the top of the video charts on TRL. (laughs) That may have been because a couple of my votes, or maybe not. I don't know. I'm just saying it could have been, but you, you know this song, like even if you didn't really listen to them, it was on the radio all the time at this point. The, there's, the, there's the lyric that just keeps going, they're singing, and then someone in the background just keeps going, tell me why, and then like, tell me why, and it just keeps happening. And it, it almost feels like it's speeding up as the song's going on to where it just, the person is just interjecting it over the other lyrics, right? And you're like, I don't even know what is happening right now. Tell me why you're yelling, tell me why. I don't understand so many things about this song. And now it's stuck in my head, right? And also, I, I feel like breakdancing in front of a private plane. Is that weird? Because that's what the video made me want to do. The second thing it makes me think of is basically every conversation I have had with my children ever since they learned to speak, <laughs> because that's the way kids are, right? Um, from the very beginning, once they learn how to talk, you remember as parents just being like, man, it's gonna be so fun when they learn how to talk, and then they learn how to talk, and you're like, how do we shut them up? How do we stop this, reverse it, make it go back? Because the, the majority of what they start saying when they start talking is just like, why, 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 why? Everything is why. You tell them to do something, it's why. You tell them that something is a certain way, it's why. And kids can ask why indefinitely. It's like they can just keep going down the rabbit hole, right? Until, you, you know, you're just, you, you have nothing else to say. You're like, we're going to do this. Why? Because it's a good thing to do. Why? Be, because if you don't clean your room, then, you know, it could get cluttered, and then, like, you know, rats could come in your room and find food, and we don't know what's underneath those toys. Why? Well, because rats are the type of creatures that really like to, you know, they're searching for things, and why? Well, uh, you see, uh, like, California has palm trees, and a lot of times the rats will climb up the trees and get into the room. Why? Well, you've got to seal the roof really well, and, um, why? and eventually you just get back to your, like, I don't know, God made the heavens and the earth. I don't know, guys. I don't, can we just do the thing? Because well, the thing that you want to say to them, right, and the thing that a lot of us end up saying to them is, because I said so, and because you need to. And if you're a parent, you know that is not good enough for them. And it's so infuriating. But here's the thing that I think is also true. I mean, if you think about yourself, is that really good enough for you? And when someone asks you to do something or tells you to do something or says something is essential, like, isn't part of you just like, why? Why? I know, I know you're like, I'm not as childish as my kids, but let me just push back a little bit. Like, if you get an email from your boss at work who's just like, hey, this thing that we've been doing this way for this, this like forever, now we're gonna start doing it this way. Isn't there a part of you that's like, reply all, why? <laughs> right, like, 
if, if suddenly like something that you're used to paying one price for, like gas, doubles in price overnight and you're paying double, isn't a big part of you like, why? Right? If, uh, say, hypothetically, this would never happen, like your government asks you to do something, like wear a mask everywhere. <laughs> isn't there a big part of you that demands to know why? This is just the way we are, right? Humans are curious creatures. This is the way in which you're made. It's not enough for us to be told what to do. We want to know why. And I would argue that nothing creates more confusion, anger, or burnout like being made to do something that you don't understand the reasoning behind. Doesn't that drive you crazy? When someone forces you to do something, and you're like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I need to know, right? And you feel like you're losing your mind. And I think the question of why is ultimately a preoccupation with purpose, right? We want our actions to be meaningful. And the harder a thing is to do, the more this is true. If it's an easy thing you tell me to do that I kind of already want to do anyway, I don't really need a why because I got my own why, and that's going to be motivating enough. But if you're trying to get me to do something that's difficult, like if you're asking me to do something that requires me to change or be uncomfortable or be inconvenienced or give up something or add additional steps or expend more energy or pay more money or approach something differently, you better have a really convincing and compelling why or else I'm probably not going to do it. Because we want to know, like, where did this idea or expectation or direction come from? Like, what's behind it? What motivated it? What's its origin? And this is so deeply a part of us that we don't just wonder this about real-life situations. We wonder this about fictitious characters. Like, think about just in our culture, like how many shows and movies revolve around origin stories? Because we want to know why. Why? We want to know how, how does a blind attorney end up becoming a masked crusader karate chopping his way through the streets of Hell's Kitchen? Why? How did this happen? Right? We want to know why like a, a low-level flunky lawyer somehow ended up defending people who sell blue meth out of the back of fast food chicken restaurants. Why? How did it happen? Why? Right? We want to know why does Princess Elsa, why does she, you know, hold herself up in an ice castle when her sister just wants to be close to her? Why? We want to know why. And, you know, I, I think it's these origin stories uh, that, that help us make sense of the world. Origin stories help us understand why someone is the way they are or why something works the way it does. And I bring all this up because I wonder if you have ever wondered, like, what is the point or purpose of family? Like, we understand that we were born into a family, that, like, we have to operate inside of a family, that family is supposed to be important, but, like, what is the point? Like, what is it supposed to be about? Do we just make it up? Does it matter? Right? Like, I wonder if there's ever been a part of you that just, like, is curious about this. Like, is, it, is this the point of family just to sort of keep a roof over everybody's head and keep them fed and, you know, make sure that everybody stays alive? Is it to make sure that everybody in the family is happy and has high self-esteem? Is it to, like, push them all to go accomplish, you know, and, uh, and chase their own individual dreams? 
And even beyond that, do all families have the same purpose? Or are there more than one way to sort of do family? I wonder if, you, if you've ever had this moment where you wish that you could, like in a movie or a show, you could like flash back to the origin story of family and just get these questions answered. I'm not talking about like the moment that your, your parents met or fell in love or had their first kiss. That may be a weird thing to watch and you probably don't even want that. Um, I'm talking about like, like bigger than that, right? The, the moment um, that, that God sort of breathed family into existence, like the moment that God designed the first family and, and sort of orchestrated what that was gonna look like, like it would be cool if we could look at that origin story because it may educate us on why it is the way it is and how it works um, the way it does. And the interesting thing is you kind of can do that um, in the book of Genesis. There's this a couple accounts of, of this unraveling of the first family. And I want to sort of like, like do this flashback with you and see what information we can gather from this moment in biblical history. This is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, in case you're wondering where does this flashback take place. Genesis 1, verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. Now, first of all, before we get any further, I just want to pause and just say, anybody noticing that all the pronouns are plural? Right? Like, is this, some of you are like, is this a, is this a misprint? Like, what is going on here? Uh, and the reasoning is kind of mind-blowing. It's, it's because God is not a singular being. The, the theological term is trinity, meaning three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, God is a family unto himself, three unique representations of the same interrelated unit, and God's grand intention is to make us like him, to identify with and operate inside of a series of interdependent connections called family, all working for, on behalf of, and in need of one another. It goes on to say this in uh, verse 27, God created human beings in his own image, male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. So God makes these humans similar, but also different, right? There's two of them. They're enough the same to be like, yeah, those, those kind of go together. Um, but they're male and female, so they're a little bit different than one another. And then he gave them an assignment that requires them to work together. Because you cannot be fruitful and multiply all by yourself. It is a team sport, girl. As the proverb says, it takes two to tango. Actually, I don't think that's in the proverbs. That's somewhere, something else that someone said. But it's true, okay? And if you're like, what does that mean? You can ask your mom later. Or my mom, she would love to tell you. And like a lot of ancient Hebrew poetry, there's, there's more than one meaning and implication um, to this, this idea of being fruitful and multiplying. The first is to like make and raise babies, right? God is essentially saying like, make more of yourself. Um, he's, he's telling these people, I made you in my image, now go make some more of you in your image and do this with a purpose in mind. And the second 
thing that this sort of means is to extend the environment, the culture, and the values that exist here everywhere. In other words, God is telling these people, like, take this garden that I made global, and it's going to take a lot of you to do that, and so that's why you're going to need to multiply. God is inviting humans to co-create with him to take the components that he made and to combine them and to make something new. Because ultimately, being fruitful and multiplying isn't copying, it's creating. Think of it this way. Like, a child isn't a copy of either parent. It's a combination of both. Like, kids aren't clones. They're new creations made in their parents' image, behaviorally and biologically. In other words, we look a little bit like our parents, and we also act a little bit like our parents, sometimes in ways that infuriate us and the people that we married. (laughs) But we're not like completely like them, right? Because you're not half of each person, right? That's not how it works. You're a unique combination of both of those people, and then there are aspects of you that like don't come from either one of them that are like completely unique to you because you are a unique creation. And I wonder if this has ever occurred to you before, that God's first commandment to human beings is, be creative, just like me. Like, does that reflect the image that you have of God? Like, when you think of God, when you're like, man, the thing that God is most passionate about, that he really wants from people is like, you guys, get out there and be creative. Because if it's not, like, you're, you're deriving an image of God that's not consistent with his origin story, with, with, with the way in which God actually operates. And God doesn't just want these humans to recreate themselves, but their environment as well. Now, this may, like, come as a surprise to you. The, the Garden of Eden didn't cover the whole earth. Some of us, when we imagine this, we're like, was the whole world just the Garden of Eden? And that's actually not the description we have in uh, Genesis. It was a small space. It was basically a prototype of God's intentions. And his assignment to these people was, take what I've done here and replicate it everywhere. Which brings up a question if you're a thinking person, like, why didn't he just do it himself? I mean, if God wanted paradise everywhere, why didn't he just put it everywhere? Because God can, right? He can do whatever he wants to. Which means if he didn't do something at the beginning that he could have done, the only reason is because he didn't want to. Because he had a different idea, a different strategy. And the reason is because God gets joy from including people in his process. The strategy to make earth a paradise wasn't to create an army or a factory, but a family, And he has stuck with this strategy ever since. Like God, towards the beginning in Genesis, he promises to bless everyone everywhere through Abraham and his family, and then through an even bigger family, the children of Israel, and then through his son, Jesus, and then through the church, which is the family of God. Like family is God's vision to save the world. It has been since the beginning. Now, maybe you're thinking like, wow, that is a slow strategy. (laughs) That is going to take forever. And you are right. If you just like think it through in a logical sense, right? You have to find a partner. You got to have kids. You got to raise them, envision them, equip them, and empower them to focus on an aspect of God's vision that leverages their unique strengths and abilities. And then you've got to release them 
out into the wild, into the world to find their partner and start the process all over again. Like, that's going to take a while. Interesting that God doesn't seem bothered by this. This may surprise you as well. God is not as impatient as you are, especially when it comes to seeing change come about. You see, God, God designs save the world strategies differently than most modern Americans. God builds families, not factories. He prioritizes relationships over requirements. He focuses on quality rather than quickness. He communicates why before how. This is the way God thinks about getting things done in the world. Listen to like his, his full instructions to this like first family unit. Genesis 1, 28 says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. That is a lot of what with very little how. Like stare at that and just think about that for a minute. This is like, here's what I want you to do. He's painting a picture for them. He doesn't say, how to do it. Because God's preference is to lead us with vision and values instead of rules and regulations. This is how God has crafted humans to work and be motivated and move forward since the beginning of time. This is how God prefers to parent humanity. He starts with why, and then he invites us to sort of brainstorm and invent and design how alongside him, to take inventory of everything that we have and strategize and experiment on how to make things better together. And here's the big question. Is that how your family worked as a kid? An even better question is, is this how the family that you have works now? Do you start with the why and then get together and brainstorm the how? Do you begin with the vision and values that you hold dear and then try and wrestle through like, okay, how do we flesh it out? Like, like what rules and regulations might we need right now just to insulate this vision and values? But ultimately, those things may change over time. But what, what won't change is our vision, our values. That's where we begin. I think for a lot of us, it's probably not. When we, when we dive into this, this origin story of family in the book of Genesis, we realize that it, you know, the purpose of family is not just about trying to keep everybody alive and fed and a roof over their head. It's not just making sure everybody's happy and has a high self-esteem. It's not just making sure everybody can go after their individual dreams. God's vision is bigger. He wants you to see uh, family, your family, as a team working together to better the world on his behalf. And I wonder if you really believed that, how might you do family differently? Because for a lot of us, we've never even thought about this before. And yet this was God's vision for arranging humanity the way he did. Like, think about how teams work. A team is put together, right, to play a specific game accomplish a specific goal, 
right? And the goal requires them to work together collectively because they could never achieve it individually. So no matter how good you are, you can't win an NBA title by yourself. Um, and uh, we all know this to be true. And when a team is struggling, oftentimes a coach will say to them, we need to get back to the basics. It's a call essentially to revisit their origin story. It's sort of a way of saying like, forget about what everyone else is doing. Like what game are we playing? What, what goal are we after? What strengths do we have? What strategies do we need to implement to move forward together? Like a, a coach is, is challenging them. Like we need to get back to the basics. And, and at other times, you know, a coach will say, you know, we need to get rid of Russell Westbrook and get some three-point shooting. <laughs> what are you guys waiting for? Like, give away those draft picks. What? I don't understand, right? And this is where the metaphor breaks down because you can't, I know some of you are getting excited, you can't trade away teammates on your family <laughs> for other families' team members. So just cross that off, right? That's not what I'm trying to get at right now. But there are a lot of things that, that really teams and families ought to have in common, at least in, in terms of God's vision. And so what if you took the same approach that, that teams have when it comes to your family, at least um, in, in a general sense? And to help you, I want to sort of give you three filters for a family framework. And I want you to write these things down because I think they'll help you sort of figure out how to craft um, a vision and the values that your family is going to rest upon. And the first thing is purpose, right? A family needs to determine what is its purpose. Like, the purpose is essentially what we're all ultimately here for and why, right? All NBA teams have the same goal, win a championship, okay? Sometimes those teams don't act like it, but that is what their goal is supposed to be. And here's the, the reality. All families have the same goal, handed to us by God, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill and govern. What do those metaphors mean? It means to produce good things, to replicate your values, to cultivate growth, to work together towards God's goals for everyone. So what are those goals? Jesus simplified it by saying this, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. He says, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the question. Does your family see this as its ultimate purpose? Like every, in other words, everything else takes a backseat to helping each other do this first and foremost. Because this is the purpose that has been given to you because it's been given to all of us by God. It ought to be the big thing that we are pursuing together. The second filter I think that comes next is a playbook, right? Teams have a purpose, but then they also have a playbook, which is how we specifically go about it here. Um, every team is trying to win a championship, right? Um, but teams go about it differently based on the players and the coaches and the skills that they have available to them. Like not all teams run the same plays because they don't all have the same players, not all teams are able to pull off the same things. Not all teams can run the same plays, can do the same sort of stuff. And so you've got to lean into your playbook, what you do, like how it's going to work for you. How are we specifically going to go about this thing that fits us and our unique design? And different families go about being fruitful and multiplying differently based on the skills and passions and circumstances that they find themselves in. 
And so it, it takes us a little bit to sort of brainstorm and take inventory, like we talked about last week, of the players that we're actually working with in our family and who they are. And like, why would God put these specific people together knowing that this is the grand purpose? How is it that he intends for us to go about it? And um, this can take on many different shapes and forms. I'll just give you a couple examples. I know one family who it is their, their stated goal as a family that they want to give away as much money as is possible in their lifetime. It's a real family that I know. And like they've onboarded everyone in the family to do this. They have a plan. They're pushing toward it. And they do it secretly. Like their family really knows what they're doing, but not everybody else knows how much they actually give because they live on so little so they can give so much away because that's what they feel called to do. And these people are great at making money and they realize that it's not just for them. It's what God wants to do with it through them. There's another family I know that their family mantra is we're here to help. It's very simple, but they embody it. So in other words, everywhere they go, they're like, why are we here? We're here to help. And so that's the filter that they see everything through. Like, why, why did we show up at church today? We're here to help, right? And the funny thing about it is, if you're just like, yeah, we don't need any help, they're like, cool, I'll ask somebody else. Oh, they'll say, oh, no, no, I insist. After a while, you're just like, give these people something to do, jeez. The crazy thing is, is just like how it just sort of like trickles down from the parents to, to the kids where it's like they go to a party and it's like you look around and who is like helping? It's the people from this family. Because in their mind, they're like, the first reason I'm here is to help. The secondary is like, yeah, I'm gonna have fun, do whatever. But like, we're here to help. That's, that's what our family is about. That's what we do. That's who we are. And I, I don't know what that thing is going to be for you, because I don't know all the details of your family. But I will tell you this. If you don't design your family's priorities around contribution, they'll default to a preoccupation with consumption. Because that's the way our culture works. And a lot of us, um, as parents, sort of throw up our hands. They're like, why are my kids so selfish? Why are they just like scheming to try and get more stuff? Why are they impatient? Why do they just want? Why do they think everything is about them? And I would ask, have you been clear about what your playbook as a family is? What is most important to you? Have you talked about it? Have you demonstrated it in front of them? Do you refocus them constantly about, no, 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 no. this is what we're about. This is what we're here to do. This is who we are. You ought to revisit it so many times that your kids roll their eyes and say it to you before you can say it yourself because it is so ingrained in who you are. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so the question is, what are the good things God set aside for your family to do right here, right now? Maybe you're wondering like, how do you even figure that out? I would say, ask yourselves like, what excites us and inspires us what saddens us and angers us? What abilities exist among us? 
Like you start taking inventory of these sorts of things and it starts to become really clear about what is most important and what you are called as a family to do together. And the reason you need an answer to these questions is that knowing who you're called to be brings clarity to what you ought to do. And I think this is one of the most difficult things in our day and age of like there's a million things to do and a lot of things are good and we feel like we're obligated to do all these different things. Um, when you know who you're called to be, uh, you have clarity about what you ought to do. You know what good things to say no to because you know what you are there and what you exist to do. You know what to say yes to and what to say no to because you have clarity about who you are. And then the, sort of the third filter after purpose and playbook is position, right? And a, a position is how I uniquely contribute to our goal in the context of this family. So on teams, players have roles that help with the overall goal. Like maybe in basketball, you are a power forward. And sometimes they run plays through you, and sometimes they don't. But your position is still important. And for the team to win, you've got to play your part well, even when the ball isn't in your hands. Even when you're riding the bench, you've got to understand that you are an essential part of the team and you're ready to be called on at any possible moment. In a family, members have roles that help the overall goal. Right? Maybe somebody is sort of like an, a natural encourager. Maybe someone is, you know, creative. Maybe somebody is highly organized. The question is, how do I use these things for us instead of just me? And that's a question that has to be answered because, again, we see this on teams, right, where somebody has a, like a position and they're great at that position, but they are playing for themselves, not for the team. And eventually what happens? No one wants to play with you. Because you don't understand that like you're amazing and awesome, but if you're here and put with us, you've got to work with us. We want to leverage your strengths, but you've got to work alongside and with the team if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus, giving thanks through him to God. Like that whatever that thing is that you're doing, if you're just doing it so that like you can be happy and you can make money and your dreams can come true, but you're not leveraging that thing to pursue God's purpose in the context of your family, you're missing it. And what we tend to do in our culture is we approach family in the reverse order that scripture outlines. We don't start with purpose and then, and then think about like our playbook and then think about our position. We start by prioritizing our position, right? What do I want? What am I passionate about? What are my goals? What do I need from everyone else? And if someone asked you, like, well, how does that fit in the context of your family? Most of us would probably be like, who cares? <laughs> it's my life. Well, what about God's ultimate purposes? Like, we might be like, okay, yes, that is important to me. So here's my plan. After I make my money and do what I want and get the notoriety I'm after, then, yeah, I'd like to try and figure out how to do some, like, you know, God stuff. Um, if there's any time left over and money left over or whatever, like, that's cool. 
Like we have this inverted organization of our lives and families. And I would argue it's why a lot of fulfillment has drained out of our experience of family because we're doing it in the opposite order. And here's the big question I wanna pose to you today. Do you see your family as a team brought together by God to leverage every member's personality, perspectives, passions, strengths, and even weaknesses to accomplish God's bigger purposes in the place you live? Or are they essentially just an obstacle to escape to go do the real thing that you should do or want to do or need to do with your life? Like, what big story is your whole family telling together? Like, what, what's worth committing to collectively and striving for and sacrificing for as a family? What vision and values are big enough and worthy enough for you all to aim yourselves at as a group? Because the truth is, being a valued part of a team aimed at a bigger purpose is such a deep human need that if you don't feel it, in your family, you'll go find it elsewhere. And I would argue that a lot of what we are designed to experience in family, because we're not prioritizing our lives in this way, in the, the order that God's origin story for the family outlines for us, we end up abandoning our family and trying to find fulfillment in a job fulfillment like somewhere else and that's great I hope you do have fulfillment at your job but not at the cost of your family so here's the question today this is the thing I want you to take home and ask yourself and ask other people and wrestle with what is your family known for is it God's purposes or your preferences what is your, and here's the interesting thing about this question. It's gonna require a couple things from you. It's gonna require that you meditate on this, think about it, and answer it for yourself. And then it's gonna require you to go find some other people who know you and your family. Some of them that know you really close, some of you that some of them that only know you by your online presence, some of you the, them that only know you like sort of like loosely or as acquaintances, and ask them. Like, what is my family known for? And just see what they say. And then compare the two things. And here's the, here's the big question, like when you combine your information from this like, like little survey that you're gonna conduct about your own life, it is how you're actually known how you wanna be known? Because sometimes we don't even realize like what our family has become about because we haven't really been intentional. Like we, we, we think our family is, is about like, like love and acceptance and people are just like, I thought you guys just really like football. I was confused, I'm sorry. I just think of you as the football family. And sometimes you get really mad at football game. I don't know, I, don't, that, I just thought that's what you were about. I know you guys really care about this political position. That's what I know, that's all I really know about you guys. I don't know anything else. I wonder if 
like what you're about is what you wanna be about. I wonder if what you're known for and what you're about is what God wants you to be about or if you have gotten off track. I would say if you don't like the answers to the questions that you come up with, maybe it's time to change some things. Maybe it's time to shift some priorities. Maybe it's time to adjust some schedules and make some alterations to your actions. Now, here's what we wanna do as a church. We wanna help you with this process to actually set aside some time with your family to think about who you are and who you wanna be and how to become more of what God has called you to be. And that's why we put together these little kits that uh, you're gonna get on your way out. It's got some um, little worksheets in here um, that, are, that are fun. I know I said worksheet and you got like a panic attack about homework. You don't have to bring it back, just for you. They're very simple and um, they're just to help you spark conversation around some of these topics that we're talking about today. So you can make an intentional plan for your family and you can involve the people in your family, the unique players to be creative and plan the how around the what and the why that God has given you. There's all sorts of stuff in this kit um, including uh, a little thing of air freshener, uh, because if you start fighting, you may need to clear the air, or Mesa Kid. And you can use that for whichever you want, okay? Uh, but I want you to grab this on your way out, and I want you to spend some time on this. I think it's interesting how much energy and effort a lot of us spend in brainstorming, um, you know, what we value, what we care about, and building an intentional plan for, like, our business. But we don't want to take the time to do it for our family. And our family is so much more important. And I wanna pray that God would empower you to take the time to do that. And that like the way he parents us, that you would parent your family through the lens of first and foremost, the vision and the values that God has placed in front of you. Would you bow your heads across this room? I just wanna pray over you today. God, thank you so much for how you made us and who you made us to be. God, we pray that you would inspire us to see our family as the mechanism, the vehicle through which you want to empower us to bring heaven to earth, to reshape our earth, our culture into the garden-like atmosphere that you originally spoke into existence. God, your, your vision for changing and transforming and, and taming the world is through family. I pray that we would lean into each other, that you would help us to see each other as our teammates, not as our competitors. You would help us to see the way in which we complement one another. And God, you would focus us all on values as a family that enable us to create a playbook, our way of going about things to contribute to your purposes for the world. And God, you would help us to engage every player, every position that you've placed on our family team. God, may you give us a, a deep sense of profound purpose and meaning that you would give us a why to chase down in our families. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.